This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thank you so much for checking out the audio version of my channel, Ruslan KD, King's Dream Outlier on all platforms. If you, yes, you find this valuable the best way you can reach me, the best way you can give me feedback, the best way you can even hop into a group Zoom call with me is through our King's Dream Patreon community. So consider partnering with us there. The link is in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Now enjoy. Bruce Lawn. It's about that time. We got Dr. Eric Mason, pastor of Epiphany Church in Philadelphia the author of books like Woke Church and uh, Urban Apologetics. So let's just jump into it. Uh, Urban Apologetics, tell tell us what the book is about and and your heart behind it. Yeah, so basically, uh, subtitles Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. And so um, for years and years, if anybody's any type of hip-hop head, you know that Christianity is viciously hated. Um, Historically, maybe not as much now, but when in the late 80s, early 90s, um, hip-hop has been... Uh, inundated with other ideologies, whether it's Pan-Africanism, whether it's, the, and it's all in the conscious stream of hip-hop. Um, you had the conscious stream throughout the uh, mid-80s to early 90s, but then uh, it began to blend with pop hip-hop or more rugged street hip-hop, uh, gangster rap. And so you had leaders of the new school, uh, Tribe Called Quest. You had uh, uh, Poor Righteous Teachers, uh, you had all those different guys that were a part of the 5% Nation of Islam or espoused their philosophy in some way, shape, or form. He had Public Enemy that was into Nation of Islam philosophy. And so that really inundated through Farrakhan and Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X's influence over the years uh, for the generation that I call the original hip-hop generation that Bakari Katswana talks about in his book, uh, <clears throat> The uh, Hip-Hop Generation. And so the hip-hop generation uh, is is that generation right after... Uh, the busters and uh, and 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 right before the millennials uh, that kind of fit in there, and so within that generation, a lot of us grew up in church. Um, but then, in light of going to college, we were one of the first generations to heftily go to college uh, because of a different world influenced us to go go to college, and particularly um, uh, historically black colleges. So on those campuses, it was a lot of it was a lot of tough stuff that was being dealt with on those campuses. And when I became a Christian. Uh, in the fall of my sophomore year, I began to get barrage. I get get a barrage of challenges. You know, people back then was using oils. Uh, you know, like my uh, blue Nile. See, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. They had stands with oils on it where they turn regular uh fragrances like Obsession, Cool Water. You know what I'm saying? Fakanabo and all of that. You know, they had Arabian sandalwood, Indian sandalwood, sandalwood fragrances, uh, incense, and all different types of conscious books that was really the aesthetic dashikis and you know dashikis and you wearing jordans you know what i'm saying that was the the aesthetic <laughs> coca-cola shirts and and post high top fade era so but during that particular time it began to rise again every 30 to 20 years the mm-hmm. need for black dignity being engaged arises and what hit it back then was the rodney king verdict then mm-hmm. fast forward 30 years to now 
30 years to now post Trayvon Martin and all of those different things that, and, uh, and you know, whatever you think about the Trump election and, and how racially charged it was from different sides that blacks have become conscious of their constant, um, dignity destruction in America from slavery all the way through where we are now. And so in light of that, there has been a lot of African-Americans in particular, black and brown, but particularly African-American and the African diaspora and those who are descendants of those in the slave trade that basically um, are not filling the church or have a lot of questions and they don't feel like it's getting answered. And so we feel like uh, Urban Apologetics is a work a long time in the coming. My brother, shout out to my brother, Chris Brooks and people like um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 my, oh, Hamer Cross, the uh, Windsor who wrote, uh, not Windsor, the other brother who wrote uh, Blacks in the Bible, as well as uh, McKissick, Dr. Sony Evans, uh, Carl Ellis, and, 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 and many others who have had works ursery with uh, your man uh, uh, um, Keener, who wrote the book on uh, defending black faith. And so there have been books out there. This is the first of its kind that really deals with each individual group the, from a, from a 30,000 foot to a street perspective. It sounds like what happens, you said, every 30 years is that there's some type of racial uprising with regards to, you mentioned Rodney King. I remember being a, a kid and watching that on the news and thinking, like, how wild is this whole situation that transpired? And now yeah. recently, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously flared up again. You mentioned Trayvon Martin and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, in regards to Christianity, do you think that the disconnect with regarding the race conversation in Christianity is a stumbling block for a lot of folks from the black community um, to, to whether continue embracing Christianity the way their grandparents did or to come to Christianity if they don't come from a, a, a church background? Do you think that the, disc, the, like the racial undertones of stuff becomes a stumbling block? Of course. And I think not just the racial undertones, I think the... I think it's more than just undertones. I think it's just historical participation and partnership with Western culture in 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 destroying the dignity of black people. I mean, when you have people on uh, slave ships, and of course, shout out to Propaganda who talked about that uh, in in his in his song "Precious Puritans." Puritans on slave ships, and I got the resource down there that lays it out uh, that from the dissertation it comes from, but. Um, the, they, them uh, being chaplains on slave ships, teaching the curse of ham and uh, teaching the curse of ham as a framework for uh, giving reasoning to slave masters on why it's OK uh, for uh, Christian for uh, black people to actually um, uh, 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 be in slavery in chattel slavery and being less than a person and being treated in a particular way. And so when you have that as a kidnapping based on first Timothy chapter one, verse seven, uh, you know, uh, people of who the law is for, and you have that as a fundamental error, you have the violation of uh, James four, seven and other passages in violation of Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 28. When you have that is a violation of, of, uh, uh, of James chapter two, violation of revelation 21, violation of revelation 19, violation, uh, you know, of, of the of the fulfillment of the law love your neighbor as yourself violation of leviticus 19 you know i could just keep going through that violation of first i mean you know isaiah 117 violation of uh, isaiah 10 1 through 3 i mean i could keep going through as a violation of matthew 23 23 violation of the sermon on the mount i mean you could keep going 
through massive amounts of scripture that gives us a biblical framework for how um it is uh it is less than christian to have a a faulty a fault a fundamentally faulty biblical anthropology and do you think that now it's because there's a denial of the history or do you think it's also complicit in the present when we're talking about this in the context of the evangelical neo-evangelical church today yeah, I would say all of the above. I mean, it's the history. You know, it's everything in our art where uh, we have presented everybody in the Bible in the Western world as white folks and European white folks at that um, who were a diaspora of different people. So we're not trying to paint Christianity black. We're just trying to help us our scholarship to be truthful about the people and close as we can get to that in history. But the issue was it wasn't just iconography is different than art. In a sense, even though iconography is art, all art is an iconography. When we talk about the idea of iconography, iconography is really telling the story of an, a person or an event or a particular symbol through that particular mechanism, whether it's uh, whether it's sculptures, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, 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 um, uh, um, art that, that that's painted. You know, when you have a picture of Paul sitting on a stone in a in a um, in a in a in the bottom of a cistern with the scroll out with a piece of papyri with a with a feather writing and he's European you're you're depicting uh, the scripture being <laughs> under inspiration you're, you're under inspiration in one of the brokest places and you're pointing to the fact that the person who wrote the Bible was a a, a medieval European white man and so when you mm. when you when what you're doing you're that, that's not unintentional when you got i pulled up the ethiopian eunuch on google one time and they have some african ones up they literally had a white ethiopian eunuch and he's really mm. nubian you know and so when you look at that type of framing when you got moses in the ten commandments you know the 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 the, the, the movie that you know people watch every uh, uh uh paschal weekend you know it's just it's just it's it's tough and so i think that there's complicitness Everything from even our publishers, we love them. We're not beating anybody up. We're not, we're not hating. We're not trying to guilt. But we are wanting to get some correction and for there to be some awareness. You know, that's why in Woke Church, I talk about one of the first things you got to be is aware. You can't repent of anything you're not aware of. And so hmm. um, there is a complicitness that's a part of the legacy of how things have been perpetuated for centuries. That's good. Okay, so let, let's let's talk about some of this history that I think so many folks don't know about in terms of yeah. um, the white church or the evangelical church more or less being complicit in, in, in things, right? Because we arrive mm -hmm. here and a lot of folks are growing up in what they would hope is a post-racial society. We've had Obama as president. What do you mean this, this entire racism situation, right? Um, yeah. But we didn't get here overnight. Like to, to, to even with what we're seeing in the media with the George Floyds and, and this whole situation, this is a buildup of things. And how would you say the church has not been the most helpful in it? And how have the how's the church led and helped in some of these social issues? Yeah, so really the, what we're dealing with today with the resistance against racial injustice among Christians who are bringing these things up is really nothing new. It's a book out called Doctrine of Race. Sister Matthews, a brilliant theologian, Dr. Matthews, I, I, I guarantee it's a dense read family. Uh, it's very dense, but she goes through the history of evangelicalism and how it formed and where black evangelicalism comes from. And it's really it's really a labor of love in that. Um, and so 
there has always been uh, um, resistance and those who are saying, man, we under we see what's going on and we empathize with it. And we want to fight with it. So when you go all the way back to slavery, uh, you go, uh, you, you go, you go to black codes, pro slavery and reconstruction, you go through the Jim Crow aesthetic, and then you just go through the development of policing through police patrol. I mean, uh, slave patrols, you go through, uh, 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 you know, the, the justice system, you know, the school to prison pipe, you go all the way through history. There's a lot of challenges that even now there's a, there's a, there's a fierce resistance against realizing the effects this race has had and continues to have on the church. And so the, the church, the, really the church has been involved leading that charge has been the black church. Uh, 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 not as much now, I would say as leading leaders, but, um, during, during the past, when you, I'm in a city where, you know, R Richard Allen, uh, and Absalom Jones walked out of a church where they weren't allowed to stand in there during prayer meeting. And they went down into a blacksmith shop and he put his Bible on an anvil and started the first uh, uh, African-American denomination, a second for a second African-American church, but first denomination. Uh, and, and it, and it, and it's a historically black denomination. And they have been involved for years with the development of, uh, of, 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 uh, dealing with these issues you had during the civil rights movement. There were those who were, I would, I wouldn't call detractors, but had a different view on it. But for the most part, the black church has led the charge in my, in the book, you'll see, uh, Dr. Tiffany Gill in her chapter on urban apologetics in the black church really kind of talk to you about that history in a brief in in a brief section of her essay where she begins to talk about the theological undergirdings that the black church had they had a biblical theology that influenced the way they uh the way they uh, invested into uh the um uh the civil rights movement even if you go back to the uh teens the early the early part of the 19 uh 1900s and you see guys in the Niagara movement, we have Francis Grimke, which a lot of uh, reform folk like to quote, but they don't really read his stuff. If they read his stuff, like I have, I, I show this all the time. I have his works done by Carter G. Woodson. Uh, uh, I only have three of them, the fourth one. It's a very hard deal to get, and we're looking at getting those republished and re-released. But, um, you know, you have a person like Francis Grimke that is, I mean, when you're reading through his stuff, he's writing his stuff in like, the early 19th, this is over the years of his late 1800s, early 1900s. And Carter G. Woodson is, uh, I'm going to use a makeup word, stenographying his work and writing those things out. Carter G. Woodson is the father of black history. And, and so when you, when, you, when you look at those guys, you know, uh, uh, Blyden, W.E.B. Du Bois, and all those folk that got together to start the Niagara movement that ended up turning into the, the former incarnation of the NAACP. They were, they were even contemporaries of uh, Marcus Garvey and those folks. And you understand that most of that was framed in theological conversations. I mean, you had somebody like Grimke that was the chancellor for Howard University. And if you read his biblical theology and framework, yet you see his, his, his ability to apply that to the black experience in America is just amazing and so when you look at um and when you look at the history of it it's been led by minorities because of course when you feel the pinch of oppression you're the one that uh, that, that 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 hollers the most and so and so that makes your motivation more incarnationally empathetic to the reality of the fact that you have to deal with those issues firsthand because you're experiencing it firsthand i i know from you know recent a couple of years ago, we saw that uh, Billy Graham refused to wa uh, march with Dr. King, and that was something that he regretted towards the end of his life. What do you think is in in 
why do you think there's been an apathy towards social issues with regards to the church as a whole saying, hey, there's injustice, there's sin of partiality happening here. This is not okay. Jim Crow is not okay. These laws yeah. are not okay. Why has there mm-hmm. been why do you think there's been apathy and and we can get into like what appears to be apathy today and continues to be yeah. apathy today. But why why do you why do you think that is? Yeah, for first off, listening, hearing about Billy Graham, you know, we of course would accept his repentance. You know, that's biblical. Um he confessed and repented of that man. We move on from that. Um, But we do see the impact that that can have historically on how leading leadership can affect uh, the orthopraxy of of an entire generation. Um, I think that when we look at when we look at stuff like that, where there was not really an emphasis on really dealing with that and why that happens there. I don't know exactly. I can't speak for Billy Graham because I don't know what was in his heart. Um, I know from being in white spaces, though, um, uh, a, a ton, I've been in probably uh, the top halls of white Christianity. And 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 I'm not beating them up. I, I want to say this as humbly as I know how. Um, I've experienced racism in those spaces. A lot of times from planting churches, I've helped plant 44 churches, probably more now, because uh, shout out to our family in Malawi there. They're sending some more guys. They've got like 10 more guys that they're sending out. And so that'll probably be 55 that we've been investing and being a part of. And then we have another one in one of our plants. I have a grandson church, a great grandson church. So it's crazy. Granddaughter church. But um, but when you look at a lot of it, man, a lot of it's connected to power, usually, in my experience. Um, it's connected to finances. Um, there's a generation that is financing the 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 current mode of christianity that if some who they're funding would begin coming out about some of the things honestly to be honest there would be financial there would be i mean it these institutions would get financially gutted and so uh, i mean it would be over um institutionally i mean gospel wouldn't be over the work of jesus christ the church wouldn't be over but a lot of I, i don't i don't think i think we think it's theological i don't think anything we're dealing with I think it's spiritual, but I don't think it's theological in the sense of there's not a theology. I don't think there is a theology that's at the center of the disagreement. I think pragmatism is at the center of it. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about, okay. I remember the year was 2007. I had a show out in Hershey, Pennsylvania, some small youth group show. And we decided to pull up and we heard about this new church that was getting planted in Philly, or you guys had just planted called Epiphany. And I remember hearing it was an Acts 29 church, and we we pulled up. This is after Rebel came out, and there's a big show uh, right there on on the block in in where Epiphany was. And I remember being there and hearing incredible things about you by guys of all different camps, all different size. And uh, and you, when we look at what Dr. Eric Mason has contributed to planting over 40 churches being an Acts 29 church plant, which I believe Epiphany was. You can correct me on that if I'm an error. Um, you mm-hmm. lean in the, in, in the Reformed tradition, right? There was, a, there, was a, there was a space in time where everyone kind of locked arms during the Reformed and Restless thing. And then all of a sudden, 
it it started to to split and this and 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 your name kind of got dragged through the mud after you released woke church after you took some strong stances maybe for um reparations which i, I watched the video i didn't think it was that wild of a position or, or anything crazy but the, your name started kind of getting dr- dragged through the mud in some of these circles and you said it's not theological you don't think it's theological uh you think it's not more pragmatic so when we're talking um a James White, a Jeff Durbin, some of these guys that are just just haven't, I don't think, been tactful, tasteful, polite, or wanting to have dialogue, and then you just kind of get dismissed and lumped in with all of these, like, the worldly woke crowd. And when you actually sit down and hear your heart, I don't feel like that's what you're on at all. Like, that, that, that doesn't, you're not on some, <laughs> like, uh, Marxism, we need to disrupt the nuclear right. family and destroy capitalism. It sounds like it's restorative justice. Ruslan. It sounds like it's biblical Ruslan. justice. They yes, know sir. that. They know that. They know that. Okay. They they know that. So Look is it, are, me, you, are, are they, you the scapegoat? They know. They know. Listen. Name anybody that 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 you know of, real quick, that would say, "I'm trying to redefine the family using the word woke." I mean, name one person. Like I'm just I'm saying that because it's it's. I mean, it's. It's to me, it's dishonest. I mean, have, am I doing? Am I? And, and, and shout out, listen. I I don't hate people in the LGBTQ community. I don't at all. But I'm not doing gay weddings. I'm not. Right. You know, I'm like, like I'm just kind of like I don't I don't know I don't even know what they're arguing. To be honest, I just don't. That's why I believe it's more pragmatic because it's impossible for you to really engage with that. And so. To go back to your, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna let you finish your question. But it was just like I just wanted to stop there and just say, man, they literally—it's no way in the world that you you believe that I'm bringing ungodly wokeism into the church, and you listen to anything I've said or anything I've ever written. That's just that's like impossible. If that makes sense. So to so to me, it it comes like ah, this is how it comes off to me. And I made a video addressing Jeff Durbin, you know, uh, woke-ish nonsense. Yeah. And it just, it seems like in hip hop, we would call them like subliminal cheap shots. Like you don't really, yeah. you know, with Jeff, with James White, he seemed to have said your name before and addressed your uh, repara- uh, reparations video. But it, they seem like subliminal cheap shots without actually desiring to sit down and have dialogue and and. Um, even like read your books and understand what your what your position is and what it what it seems to come down to is these two different working definitions of racism and you have one side over here saying that systemic racism doesn't exist it's completely false and then the the other side is like well can white people be racist because racism can it's about power and about being able to so so black people can be mm-hmm. uh, partial and can be hateful and not nice towards white people can they be so it's like these two different definitions and it seems like show baraka yourself to body blueprint the, like a lot of you brothers get lumped into this conversation and it and it was there ever a direct conversation with any of these brothers that were your contemporaries i feel like at some point Everybody was on the reform team and was rocking, and then yeah, not. yeah. I was. I mean, I was in, in in that camp, but I don't necessarily consider myself. I don't go by you know the whole reform thing. But this is what I'll say. This is what I'll say. Um. So when you look at you know this whole idea of you know I've never met James White. I've never met the other other guy Durbin. I've never met him. Um. 
you know, I, I know Vody, so I'm but I'm never, but we don't know each other like deep relationship kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, 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 for the life of me, I just don't, you know, this is what, this is what, this is where I am with it, Ruslan, is I'm in a community that is between 15 and the average income of a six income house, a six person, one income household is 20, 15 to $25,000 per household. Wow. Um, in part of the neighborhood of our community, they've shut down probably 10 schools. Um, they've cut the budget a few years ago uh, for school budget from eight. Uh, it, it, they, they cut it a half a billion dollars and upped it uh, to, to three quarter over three quarters of a billion dollars for not the schooling, but for but for prisons and putting in, in building prisons in the state of Pennsylvania that mm. directly affect these communities. Um, when I'm in the, uh, the neighborhood I'm in has a one main grocery store for sixty five thousand people. Um, so people are eating out of bodegas. They're in a food desert. Um, when I look at education, when I look at uh, there, there are over 3000 cases of police brutality that are connected to where we do ministry. Um, there are case, reported cases of police brutality. So when I'm see, I don't really have time to be honest, to, to sit down with any of those guys, because at the end of the day, they don't have to do ministry where I do ministry. I have mm. to do ministry where I do ministry. And so I, I, I minister to the people in our community. Like right now, we're in the middle of a major project where we're, um, we're per I can't go into all the details, but we're purchasing a, a, a lot of space. And we're starting a K through 12 school in a neighborhood that doesn't have a high school in it. All the kids are packed in classrooms of 35 to 40 students per classroom. Um, and, and then on Eden, we're doing a boxing league. We're turning our, the third floor of our building into a, a combat sports arena where basically um, kids will learn karate, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, all of that. But plus, we'll have gospel people there. So we're starting a grocery store. We start, you know, we're starting a technology center. And so all of that we're doing while we're having gospel people there, where we're doing what Titus 314 says, meeting pressing needs in order that they may not be found unfruitful. And so that that on that end, I don't so I don't so, so on that end of it, when you're in it incarnationally as a missionary called to it, you you feel it differently than a person that gets to gets to say what I believe and what we're doing and what's going on from a tower. Right. And that's my thing is like knowing some of the work that Epiphany does. It always seems like you guys have been on the front lines in Philly being the hands and feet of Jesus. And 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 for some reason that gets overlooked and it gets just escalated to, uh, well, you know, this is promoting this cultural Marxism or this is promoting this without really <laughs> sitting down and having the conversation. And I don't know, it, you see, you, you, you're you brushing it off. You're very uh, Jay-Z-esque in the way you just responded to that. I get more like triggered by some of this stuff because I've been a part and, and seen the, the work that Blueprint does, seen the work that Epiphany does, seen you guys being in these communities and being the hands and feet of Jesus, which is, I guess that's the part that's, that's, um, that's frustrating to me about it. And, uh, and is like you mentioned, Vadi, how do, how do we move towards some type of dialogue in terms of having reasonable conversations? Because it's, it's that's just like, the, go ahead. Yeah, that's the cha that's the challenge. Like, I don't talk about them. So why? Uh, why do I need to dialogue with them? Mm. You they slandered me. Mm -hmm. So when you slander someone, you don't dialogue. It's not now time to come dialogue like we're having a equitable conversation you went out you did a whole conference on dr eric mason woke church or whatever else right um and you know it, it's it's like 
like when people say we need to sit down and dialogue, I don't talk about them. Like I'm doing the work of the ministry, right? <laughs> you know, and so and so I don't like for them, for them, um, I think it's important for them to to do their homework. I think, you know, one of the things that I think is important is I ask people when they when they accuse me of Marxism, I said, Have you read read the completed works of Karl Marx? Have you done that? Um have if you if you call in someone CRT, have you talked to a person <clears throat> that's a proponent of CRT who's a PhD sociologist in the area of sociology and ask them to define CRT and what does what does it not just read a book one little book on it on C one little book on CRT and then now you write a dissertation on it um, because if we if we believe the I got a doctorate so I, I they would never in my doctoral program or my master's program they would have never let me communicate extensively on being against something if i did not read the original source you you like my dissertation you had to go to original source you can't go to the critics of that source you mm. go to the original source and you get what they say about it and then you critique what they say you don't you don't get secondhand information that's not scholarship see for me i i, I don't i don't get that type of sense i feel, i feel like there's a lot of sound bites and so these things have been weaponized into and, and for me what what I love about the glory of the gospel is, man, what what happened when 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 they when when they were about to get kicked out of prison? He said, "Look, man," he said, "If it's if it's if it's not of God, it'll fizzle on its own. But if it's of God, guess what, fam? <laughs> you it was nothing you can do to stop it. And so for me, I feel I I, I believe with everything within the every fabric of my being that I stand in a long legacy of people who have been committed to comprehensive gospel ministry. In, in, in my community uh, and where I'm from, we believe that the gospel speaks to the whole person, not just to the soul, but the whole person. That, that the gospel speaks to uh, 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 not, not only not only your, 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 your justification, it speaks to your sanctification, but it also speaks to your glorification, but it also speaks to your finances. It speaks to your sexuality. It speaks to your marriage. It speaks to how you deal with your neighbor. It speaks to the systems of our society. Um, if, if you can't, you if you don't have a biblical theological biblical theology see people don't know that Ephesians 6 is really a biblical theology of systems systems they, they are they are unseen and seen systems the things that happen in the natural system I, I did a sermon on it Sunday talking about the, the the fact that racism and ethnocentrism comes from the spiritual world not from the natural world go listen to it and so and, and really build, build out a robust theology of that and so I think that that's that's just so important man is it a boogie? Is is the CRT thing? Is this becoming a boogeyman thing? Meaning that instead of dealing with systems, which I think is for anybody that believes in total depravity or original sin, it's very interesting to me that then there's a rejection that someone's individual sin can not uh, can can like not corrupt the positions of power they hold, whether that's in law enforcement, whether that's wherever, right? So to me, it's a very interesting uh, disconnect that I feel like there is with. This this compartmentalization where we'll we'll embrace depravity, we'll embrace sin, but when you start talking about the systems, all of a sudden, no, it's it's all per, person to person partiality. Racism is person to person partiality. It can't be in, infected in systems. And then instead of a, like, let's discuss that conversation. Why not? How can it not? And I, we can get into the particulars. It just goes to well, it's CRT and CRT is bad. So bad. CRT bad. 
Dr. Eric Mason bad, <laughs> Urban Apologetics bad. Right. And, it, and it lacks critical thinking and nuance and in, in just understanding that. And I, and I, and I, have, a, I have a theory for why, theologically, I want to bounce off you in a second. But when it comes to the CRT thing, uh, I've never heard you fully embrace CRT, and I don't hear any Christians fully embrace CRT. I think it's it's seen as another discipline like psychology, like sociology, like, oh, I don't know, the Enneagram, right? Um, can you unpack just where you are with CRT specifically? Because that seems to just constantly get boogeyman and just like, well, uh, CRT bad. Instead of like, well, what is CRT trying to address and has the church failed addressing this thing? And now the world has taken it and hijacked it. Yeah, I don't I never heard of CRT until they mentioned it. Everybody all of us say that. Um all like none of us heard of CRT. You, you never were familiar with CRT until they started weaponizing it against Yeah, I, I mean, if you ask <laughs> most of the people I know, we've never heard of it. Um and so I don't want to go into some things because I want to read the resource before I communicate publicly where they where the weaponization of the, the um, a CRT came from, but let me just say this. Let's just say CRT. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even. I've looked at it since then. Uh, CRT from. I have a PhD psych sociologist at my church, and so um, and I've talked to historians. I mean, people who have PhDs. CRT is a is a tool, not a worldview. Do we agree with its conclusions? No, it's not a no. methodology. I mean, I mean, it's a methodology. It's not a worldview. That's like saying, let me let me tell you how dis intellectually dishonest it is. Like, just say we were we use CRT as a tool. This is hypothetical, so don't sound bite this and meme it, nobody, because I know how people do, right? Um, let's say we. Oh man, there's some good ideas in there. Now, I talked to a a a, a, a school president. I, I won't say his name recently, and we were kind of going back and forth about this stuff. And so I said. I said, do you know how intellectually dishonest it is to say if someone use, utilizes CRT as a as a tool that you demonize them wholesale? He said, what What you mean? I said, every your school is a product of the Enlightenment and the Age of Reason, isn't it? Mm. He says, yeah, in a sense. I said, but but the, the, the Enlightenment and the Age of Reason was one of the most ferocious times in American history that people rejected and fought against Christianity. Hmm. I said, now I took a class in under in, in my in my um in my theological education called Bible study methods. They said yes. I said in that class you learn observation, interpretation, ap application, and correlation. Yes. Hmm. Where does that methodology come from? Does it come from the Bible or does it come from the Enlightenment? Scientific reasoning. He said it comes from scientific reasoning. So I said, you mean to tell me that you can go into the Enlightenment and the age of reason and pick <laughs> out something that's redeemable based on natural or general revelation and mm. use it as a as, as a servant to special revelation? But we can't. Now, I, now, again, I'm not a CRT person, but again, to me, this is just it, it's it's intellectually dishonest, which lets me know that there is at least a prejudice in how we do our work in academia as it pertains mm. to utilizing what we're talking. I mean, we would use so many things. I mean, listen, I would, I, I look at the breakfast club and, and, and I'll see on them on their, you know, Charlemagne or whoever talking about business savvy. Like when I'm, I'm like a Charlemagne, the God is talking some old other stuff. I'm not, 
I'm not saying, oh, I'm 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 taking that in. No, I would say, man, that stuff on business is something I need to prepare for retirement. But I have a we we have a Christian grid, a Christian worldview. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Listen, Paul even in Acts 17 quotes their quotes their own poets. He said, mm. even your own poet says this. In Titus on. chapter one, he says, even your own poet says this. Matter of fact, Jude and Peter quote Enoch, which is a you know, uh, quote Enoch and intertestamental books that aren't inspired. So for me, it just doesn't make any, it's just, to me, the whole thing is like a, it's a straw man. I mean, they need to go back and read exegetical fallacies by D.A. Carson. It's just funny to me. So, yeah. okay, so here's my theory, and I want to bounce it off of you, and you tell me if I'm if I'm bugging. I This is my yep. theory. <sighs> Calvinists. Reform brothers and sisters, this is not intended to be as a shot. But with a doctrine where everything has certainty, right? Where we can we can look at this, we can we could agree on the essentials, but then we start making very certain positions on limited atonement and total depravity and all these really hard lines on complicated paradoxical positions of hey man is created in the image of god and he has value and he has worth yet he's corrupted by sin and there's this tension that man lives in whether he 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 hates god or he is hostile to god can he choose god can he not choose god calvinism takes very certain absolute positions on very paradoxical positions that that can really go either way. We've been debating this for 2,000 years. My question is to you. Do you think that because Calvinism Reformed Theology takes such hard stances on secondary issues, we are certain that the the, the, the atonement of Jesus is limited for the elect and only the elect. We are certain (laughs) that man is is hating God from his, his point of conception until he's regenerated. And then when it gets to something as nuanced as social issues, race, how does someone's personal bias can impact systems, can impact power structures, can impact taxes. Well, it's either one or the other, Dr. Eric Mason. So if if it's not personal sin of partiality, it can't be systemic. And so now we're taking apps, we're taking, we're making absolute statements because of a framework where we view the entire world in black and white. We view everything as fundamentalist. We view everything with mm-hmm. certainty instead of saying, Hey, Dr. Eric Mason, I don't know how election and free will works. I, I don't. I don't really know. I, I feel like God chose me, but but I know I got responsibility, and and I like the doctrines of grace. But man, the limited atonement. Th- I don't. I don't know. I'm okay with just not knowing. That's 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 where I'm at now, having came out of some of that stuff. But it seems like the thinking of the theology has now transcended into the methodology, whether it's presuppositional apologetics or whether it's full on woke bad. Uh, systemic yeah. racism, bad CRT, bad. Just very shallow conversations because they, they, they can't be both. You know, racism can't be both personal and systemic or structural at, at the very right, least. Right. Is is it, a, is it a theological issue? Is it connected to theology? And I don't, again, I don't, I'm not bashing on Calvinists, guys. I I, I love the doctrine of grace, yeah, yeah. but but it, I see it connected with a lot of these guys that come from the hardcore five-point or thousand-point Calvinist camp that now have a certain absolute right. view on every single thing uh, with regards to just right. nuanced issues. Right. Yeah, so I would say that you got to take it up a level. I don't think it's really centered in uh, uh, Reformed theology or Calvinism. Um, I would say that it's fundamentalism. Mm, um, okay. It, it's fundamentalism, which... Which that's what is, that's what the stronghold is. That's what everybody's saying is the stronghold, even in why 
certain sectors of the SBC is where it is. Because you have a lot of the SBC that's against Calvinism, against Reformed theology. That was mm-hmm. like, you know, that was that was like when, uh, you know, that was that was a big, big, big issue several years ago. You know, it was you know, it was drinking, you know, and then it was <laughs> Reformed theology, you know, and now it's CRT, you know, and mm. so. Um, and so when you look at it, it's fundamentalism, fundamentalism. And so fundamentalism is legalism. And so one mm. of the things that I think, uh, it, one of the things I, I, you know, one of the things I try by the grace of God to think about is, man, anyone that's hyper legalistic always has something to hide. Mm. Um, and, um, like I've never met a hyper legalistic person that doesn't have a deep struggle that they're struggling with. Um, and so when I answer that question, I really look at it more from the, perf- I think, I think this is the, I, I don't think it's as many as we think, but they're loud, but we're looking at the last res- remnants of Christian fundamentalism. That's 95 wow. years old. That's 90 years wow. old. That's what, that's what's screaming now. So the Christian fundamentalists who are Arminian and the Christian fundamentalists that are, that are uh, Pentecostal and the Christian fundamentalists that are. Uh, a reformed are all agreeing with one another about this particular thing. So it's really not, I, I wouldn't beat the reform guys up because there are others in other camps that um, would disagree them with them on the way soteriology happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but, but would agree with them on the orthopraxy as it pertains to race, social justice and everything. Yeah. And, 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 okay. Thank you for saying that. Cause that the, the issue is fundamentalism. I, I guess my question is, can you be a Calvinist and not be a fundamentalist? Yes. Yes, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, because fundamentalism is more deeply embedded in dispensationalism, not covenant theology. So got it. Um, okay. th- yeah, there's a, I there's see what a you're saying. Fund- okay. Yeah. The leading fundamentalist, the leading fundamentalists were dispensationalists. Got it. They were okay. they were they were disciples of 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 John Nelson Darby. Yeah. Okay. So that makes yeah, sense. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. So yeah. let's 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 you you you've already said on the record just so there's no confusion about this because I'm I, I I'm, I'm I, I get so irritated when people keep pointing back to CRT. You've already said you do not uh you, you do not uh, accept and most people didn't even know what the heck CRT was until last summer. Uh, you do not right. accept the logical conclusions of CRT, right, which more or less is like all white people are racist and need to repent of their racism subtly and, and that kind of thing, right? So you said you don't you don't uh, 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 agree with the conclusion of it. You, you just said you're pro-business. So I'm assuming uh, Dr. Eric Mason is not a Marxist or a cultural Marxist, which I think is another <laughs> boogeyman term. So, so, right. so you've, you've rejected right. that. I've heard <laughs> you repeatedly reject the Black Lives Matter organization and their mm-hmm. desire to disrupt the nuclear family. And when we say Black Lives Matter, we're speaking the sentiment and the heart of God, which is a truthful statement. Black lives do matter. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're in, in, endorsing that organization. I've heard you say that. Um, so when we actually sit down, I, I, oh, oh, uh, there's the accusation. I keep hearing this accusation of liberation theology and the issues with liberation theology. I've never yeah. heard you teach liberation theology. I don't know if you want to ad- address that. Um, for, again, when I hear you preach, I hear more of a reformed tradition in your, uh, your theology and in your, uh, soteriology and how you view salvation. I don't, I don't see the, the, the liberation theology outside yeah. of Go, go ahead if you want to touch on that. Yeah. So 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 before we even talk about liberation theology, the problem with conservative evangelicalism is that it has certain things that it demands you be monolithic with it on. Okay. Um, 
So when you come when you come out of that, they don't know what kind of category to put you in. Okay. So if you have a, and I'm not even going to talk about reform, like uh, you know, I don't I don't like that term, but you know, um, when you have a when you have a a commitment to the centrality of Jesus Christ, inerrancy of Scripture, the the Trinity, you know. Um, the essentials the, of the faith all, that we all yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and you did, and you and you, but your orthopraxy, you like, like it flows from those things. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't, I don't think, I don't think that world knows how to apply its belief about the faith to the world. All of the gospel center talk we've heard. I don't really think there's there's a a proficiency in applying the faith in re, in, in the real world. I just don't. Talk, talk, um, can you elaborate a bit? What do you, what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because one of the things that you see with Paul, right, in in, in the book of Titus, Paul, um, um, Paul does something different. Usually in his books, he goes orthodoxy, orthopraxy. In mm. Titus, he goes orthopraxy, orthodoxy. It's interesting. You, you'll see that over and over and over through the book. Mm. And so one of the things that you see really to, to be in them and honest in their mind in the mind of the hebrew reader they're symphonic western culture we're linear meaning symphonic means we don't see a separation there's not a separation between orthodoxy and orthopraxy there's not a separation of it whereas in american I, I, for, for kind of western theology there's kind of this orthodoxy and then orthopraxy but it's it, there's not a blending of it and i think we do theology um, we do theology in a way that almost separates the two. And I think that's a big deal for me. Um, it was something that you asked that I wanted to respond to, though, because it was just something I wanted. I was thinking about that as you were saying that. Yeah, that's good. So I, I, that's, that's really interesting. You talked about the the orthopraxy, ortho, orthodoxy, that the way we the way we live should come, you know, the way we live should be impacted from the gospel. And so mm -hmm. when I read Matthew 25, Jesus caring for the least of these or encouraging us to care for the least of these, right? When I see yeah. the caring for the widow and the orphan in James, and, and this is pure and undefiled religion, it seems oh, like... Go that's, ahead. What you, that's what you wanted me to answer. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. You was asking yeah. about somebody. I looked in the chat. Liberation theology. So what do I think about liberation theology? Um, liber let me tell you what liberation theology comes from. It comes from South America, from Gustavo Gutierrez, Okay. If you if you really want to understand liberation theology, you don't start with James Cones. That's black liberation theology. Mm. But um, but liberation theology, I had to read these things. You know, I had to interact with these things. I couldn't just say, man, what do evangelicals say about, oh, liberation theology is the boogeyman. So, you know, so I need to read Rauschenbusch. What is Rauschenbusch? The father of social justice talks about. I mean, not the father of social justice, but the guy that's his he 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 he's the one that Cornell West says was one of his greatest influences on the social gospel. So I've heard people talk about that. And so what and so I've interacted with those works. And what I've what I've learned from it is man, it didn't change my soteriology. I don't believe that God is the God of the oppressed only. Right? Come on. Um leaves them because they're oppressed. I, I don't I don't believe that. I do uh believe that God is near to the brokenhearted and those that are crushing the spirit. Mm -hmm. I do believe uh, he 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 does have a certain nearness to the poor that 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 Jesus talks about and Paul was told and exhorted in Galatians two to not forget about right those in prison and those poor that type of thing. However, when I look at liberation theology, it was a theology that was built out of trying to understand the circumstances that people were in and in their suffering. 
So for me, if I hear certain aspects of what they talk about in the suffering of people and black liberation theology and general liberation theology, and even some of the ways that the social gospel kind of area tries to answer questions, I say, ah, oh, man, I like, I, man, we, we can't forget about people's souls. Like people, mm. there's an eternal reality to this. And we have to preach the gospel, the death, burial, yes. and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the penal substitutionary atonement death of Jesus uh, yes. applies to people's lives. Yet that's not the end of our sanctification. And that's not mm. end of the kingdom coming. And so the question is, what is our kingdom theology? We know that the kingdom is coming, but it's already here, but not yet fully here. So how mm. do we apply that kingdom come that will be done on earth that is in heaven? Yes. The kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over all creation, which means his system of doing things impacting the invisible and visible systems of things on earth. So that's where my theology of all this comes from, man. Yep. Yep. Like, see how that was theological without having to say that someone else, I just think that we just don't have answers. Not we, certain groups don't have answers for these things. And then they end up just making up stuff that really comes from a cultural bent versus a biblical theological bent and, and, and conviction, man. Because what you're saying is liberation theology addresses some of the problems with you know, what was going on in South America at the time. Um, but it just addresses it from a, a, a physical standpoint. And you're saying, hey, we also, we got to remember that the gospel is the main thing. The main thing is the main thing. But in the main thing being the main thing, what we believe about the world will determine how we behave. So if we believe and we pray, your kingdom come, your mm -hmm. will be done on earth as it is, as it is, it is in heaven. And then you look in your community and you go, holy smokes, we got one grocery store for 65,000 people. We as the church can be the hands and feet of Jesus and start community gardens, can start another grocery store, can start schools. Can... Absolutely. Historically, has the church not done this? Historically, has the church not stood up and built hospitals and built universities and promoted and, and pushed forward literacy. But it seems like within the last hundred years, we've almost slid into mm -hmm. a hyper spiritual, dare I say, Gnosticism, where it's, we're just addressing the spiritual side because every anything physical and anything material and anything of the, of the flesh is all bad. It's all evil. Mm -hmm. It's all bad. Mm -hmm. It's all evil. It's mm -hmm. like, well, no, mm -hmm. we got to go do something in our communities. We got to go do something in our families. We have to go and and yes, liberate people from some of the bondage that they're in. Sometimes Jesus met people's physical needs first. Sometimes he met their spiritual needs first right and so i think mm -hmm. I, I i love the way you put that and i think it's such a disconnect and again that's why I'm, I'm i'm so grateful for the work that uh epiphany does i know you guys you know epiphany brooklyn somebody from epiphany brooklyn's in the house here as well um i think it's i don't know it seems way more mm. simpler than people make it out to be but yet there continues to be this uh ad hominem a straw man critique that uh, I don't, it just bugs me. So forgive me. I do, for think, being I, do I, I do think that there's a part of it where people think that we're asking for people with, like when, when we're speaking against, speaking out against race and just, we're asking people, Hey man, give up all your wealth to us. That is not any, any nobody's saying that mm -hmm. we're just saying, get out of our way. Mm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's talk really about that. Is. Let's 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 talk, let's talk about that. Get, get, get out of our way. Um, when people think when when people think systemic racism or structural racism, they go to the most logical conclusion, which is, uh, uh, show me racist laws on the books right now. You cannot show me a racially partial law that's on the books right now. 
right? That's that's the argument. And I think, well, crack the coke disparity. I think, hey, there was open segregationist in the Senate until the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, interracial marriage, my wife is black. Interracial marriage was illegal in Alabama until the year 2000. Yeah. Crack and coke disparity <laughs> didn't get changed to the year 2000. I would yeah. even say the way we fund public schools has a racial undertone where a third of the pro- uh, funding from public schools is from property taxes. So I think all of that. Um, I, th- I think of all of that, and I think, okay, that, that, that's fair. Well, you say get out of our way, and the way I've heard it defined recently as systemic racism, structural racism, is that there's different pathways, is that depending on which family you're born into, which you didn't choose, and depending on which neighborhood you go to at the public school, which you didn't choose, you're going to have a different pathway than somebody that isn't coming from the same uh, degrees of privilege, if you will. And I know that's a trigger word for people in here, and we're not going to say uh, yeah. blessing. Uh, that's a whole other <laughs> mis- misnomer of that. Right. But, uh, uh, a, a, a different uh, uh, a privilege, and so there's different pathways, right? Um, can you unpack this idea of how has the sin of partiality impacted our structures and systems? And you can go back to you know uh, the Homestead Act and Black Wall Street or, or wherever, wherever you feel comfortable. Uh, I, I, I think of the war on drugs, for example, but I'd love to hear you define this idea of different pathways being impacted by partially sinful laws that helped certain people and hurt other people. Yeah, I mean, whether you're talking about Social Security, whether you're talking about education, I mean, whether you're talking about um, black codes, where you're going back to, you know, there's so many, I mean, you you mentioned a lot just now with, you know, the whole idea of redlining, you know, and, and looking at redlining in communities where blacks were redlined out of buying in particular areas of cities. That's documented facts. I mean, when you look at the fact that Black Wall Street had 23 churches in it and Mm. that helped develop the reason why Black Wall Street exists. And I found this out from a historian is is part of the reason that that thrived because there were 23 churches in that sector of uh, of the Greenwood section of Tulsa that were that those people, our people went to and they were empowered to start barbershops, to be teachers, to go to college, uh, to be entrepreneurs. So forth and so on. I mean, I can go on and on and on about that. I mean, when you look at is a um is is I forgot the name of the book. I'm, again, I'm not in my library, but there's a book about um something that happened in New York with uh Abyssinian Baptist Church. Um, basically, had uh you know they weren't allowing black people to get loans from the banks, and so Abyssinian Baptist Church and churches like Concord in 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 New York City had to start uh, uh banks and or a credit union in order to pool their money so that blacks could start buying uh, a property in Brooklyn to be able to buy homes in the city. I mean, you, you, you go there, you talk about the, the riots of Wilmington. Uh, you talk about the, you talk about the, the lynching in Springfield, Missouri. If you talk about the fact that, um, uh, 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 um, I'm, I'm there in Springfield, uh, in Springfield, Illinois, rather, uh, there was a, a lynching that happened because of the jealousy of those whites there of that particular black person. They went to they, they lynched them on Saturday, came back after Easter service on Sunday and got pieces of their body and clothing as remnants to their commemoration of that particular thing. And twelve hundred uh, 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 well to do uh, working class black people had to leave that part of uh, 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 Illinois and go places. You talk about the idea of the riots in Oakland. The, the Chicago riots of 1919. You talk about the man. I can go, man. Look here, bro. This this has this has been um, a a historic. There was a historic record where one and, and this and Ruzan. This is what it boils down to. 
is that we have been poorly educated in America. Mm. And what do I mean by that? When you go into your schools and I heard, you know, I had some kid, I had some of the youth from my church do a, um, a panel a few Sunday before last, just them talking about how they felt about everything going on in the riots and, and not the riots, but just the racial climate and everything. And so one of the things mm-hmm. was several of the kids say, they said in our history classes, there was only like two pages or a paragraph on American slavery, but there was a huge section on the revolution. There was a huge section on mm-hmm. the emancipation. There was a huge section on press. And they said, and, and, and they said, you know, when, because of, and, and it's a reflection of this, the way we're educated in America is people think we're crazy when we bring up this history because we have a patriotistic way, a patriotic way rather, of painting history to people. And so when people, when Christians bring up dark history to other Christians about what America is like, well, let's leave the past alone. And guess what I tell them with that? Well, let's take all the historical theology classes out of our schools, out of our seminaries. Let's 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 take let's stop looking at background information since we don't like the past. When we do exegesis in the Bible, let's just burn all of our background commentaries and the original sources that they came from, since we should forget about the past. You know what I'm saying? Jesus' crucifixion that was very, very brutal. Let let's 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 get rid of transfixiation and talking about what happened to him actually on the cross. And so why do I say that? It's because people want to people there's a guilt. Uh, that's 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 centered around something that may point the finger at something that we need to systemically change, man. And you know, I think Dr. Eric Mason, I'm Armenian. I don't know if you know that. Uh, and we just had the Armenian genocide of 1915 recognized uh, by the Biden administration, and um, and that and that was a that was a a, a, a win for the Armenian community. And yeah, one one of the things that. Uh, Armenians don't want to hear about is we don't want to hear about the genocide or lack of genocide from the Turks. Right, right, right. <laughs> we, right. Let us t- let us share our own history with you, and uh, and don't be upset. Uh, don't be upset because we feel like oh, finally this has been recognized as a genocide, the very genocide that went on to inspire Hitler's genocide against the Jews. Um, right. and, and, and anytime I make a video about it, I just turn the comments off because sure enough, I'm going to get a bunch of really triggered and angry, um, of, you know, Turkish folks in there and RZ folks in there that are just going to be upset. And so I right. think it's always really interesting that, um, our, when, when Armenians talk about this, usually people are okay. Them talking about this or them demanding justice or them marching for this specific wrong that was done. But when, right. when when it's when it's black folks talking about it, it's like, well, can we just move on? Can we just not talk right. about it? Well, why do we why right. do we gotta keep harping? And and what folks don't understand is, hey, there were actual injustices that happened that impacted people's todays. That, right. that directly impacted people's todays. Um in, in my experience, and I don't and I'm not using generalities here. So guys, those of you guys in the chat, don't get don't get triggered. My experience all of my white friends, and by my, all my white friends, I got about four white couples that I'm close with. Uh, when, yeah. when they went to purchase homes, their parents were able to afford getting them down payments for homes or full-on passing properties mm-hmm. down to them. Like here, here mm-hmm. is a $700,000 mm-hmm. home in San Diego. It's yours. Or, hey, wow. here's $100,000 to put down on, on your home. Here, you have it, right? 
And then when I looked around, a lot of my black friends, or specifically my wife's family, who were hit hard by the war on drugs, being in California, uh, yeah. the, the CIA kind of being complicit in the whole cheap cocaine, the fun of legal, legal wars. You guys could do the Googles for yourself. Um, you saw not just redlining, but then you saw what happened in the 70s and 80s with the war on drugs. Yeah, devastate the black community, and then you don't see the same thing where properties are just being passed down, where you have folks just you know, hey, here's a hundred thousand dollars to right, and so the the, right. the 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 dismissal always goes back to ah, it was just a welfare state created by the Democrats, that's why it was bad, and they gloss over the just the complete awfulness. I don't even know another word of the war on drugs and how devastating it was um, for the black community. Can you can you unpack that a little bit in terms of this is recent history. This is within the last yeah, 30, yeah. 30, 40 years that I, my father-in-law was in and out of jail over petty drug crimes. He wasn't no big cartel moving right. way, you know, uh, out here like Freeway Ricky Ross. He was he's just in and out of that revolving door for yeah. 20 years of his life, 30 years of his life. Yeah, so it's interesting, man. So. When you look at the whole war on drugs, I grew up during that. That was my day. I was born in 1973. So I was in my teens in the 80s. And, you know, we had, and this is where the church, this is a huge gap that challenged a challenge to black dignity. They weren't, as the church at large wasn't, they, they were just making statements about, man, why is the black community this? Why is the black community that? And why is most of the crime happening in the black community? So if you take any people group, you put them in the same area that 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 all of all of those people that live in inner cities, those inner cities started during the Great Migration during the 40s, the 30s and the 40s. Right. Those people migrated in the 50s. They were kept out of jobs, that type of thing. They were put in red line in the particular communities that were concentrated in cities. So if you're talking about New York, if you're talking about L.A., if you're talking about Washington, D.C., where I'm from, if you, you know, if you're talking about Wilmington, Delaware, if you're talking about Trent, New Jersey, if you're talking about Camden, New Jersey, if you're talking about the boroughs of New York, if you're talking about Boston, you know, there's not there's a reason why all the black people live in Jamaica Plain. There's there's mm -hmm. a reason there's a reason why uh, a certain parts of the Bronx are the way down. There's a reason why Harlem exists. There's a reason why East New York exists. There's a reason why Southeast DC exists. There's a there's a reason why around Black uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard in every city is black people in, in in poverty. There's a reason for that. And so when you when you when you look at um 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 that era during the crack era, you know you have people like Farrakhan speaking out saying black people don't own planes. Black people don't own boats. Black people don't manufacture guns. So if black people don't have the economics to get any of that, who and how is that particularly happening? And then that's why the whole scam it's it's like an open secret that 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 it was a manipulation manipulative tactic. If you put people who are dead in sin in their iniquities and you throw them in the same place and you starve them of food. You affect their educational system. Not, not that it's their fault. It's not, not all their fault. There's human responsibility that comes with all of our personal sin. But there is a system that's in, that was involved with that. Uh, uh, and when you when you put that there and then drop, when you drop drugs in the middle of that community and people don't have the ability to have jobs, we, we in theology have something called a functional savior. What is a functional savior? When Jesus isn't, when you're not allowing Jesus to be your savior and you find another outlet or mechanism for your salvation, for you to feel a sense of freedom from a circumstance that you're in, you, you grab it. So they grab drug, they grab the drug or they start selling drugs or they grab liquor or they, all of these different things. And that's concentrated in that area. 
you t- like right now, let's drop a hundred people into a particular context where we starve them of most of everything and watch the walls of depravity fall down within that particular milieu or context. And so when we see the effects of that, and then after the after that season is over where everybody's killed each other or people are in jail or locked up and the community property value begins to go down, then the developers become reinterested in that particular area and they come get it at bottom dollar, mm. uh, uh, buy it, buy it or even if a black person does there are black people that have handed down their homes in those particular areas but over the years that person working and slaving whether it's in a factory or wherever they work and then they get older and their retirement isn't robust and the cost to get a roof went from five hundred dollars to twenty thousand dollars so guess what they're going to do the house is either going to go down or someone's going to swoop in and buy the house from them once they swoop in to buy the house from them, they buy it way less than property value because the house is in shambles and the overall property value is down. When that developer buys it in Philadelphia during that particular time, there was zero taxes for 10 years on anyone who built out and developed certain level of homes. So now you got tax abatement. Now you got now you're buying at the bottom dollar. Like, like even where New York is now with these houses being 2.5 million, those people were buying those houses back in the day for six thousand dollars. And yep. they had can, can you imagine that house staying in your generate in your family? generation for three generations and you come up everybody's dead but you you're a single young professional you got your education and you're left a 2.5 million dollar home and you're able to sell it or you're an older person you say i want to retire it's it's cheaper down in the south i can go down into a into a into a community so listen i got a decent amount of of this i was a cab driver all my life now i'm selling my brown stuff for 2.5 million dollars i'm moving down to i'm moving down to florida and guess what i'm gonna do in florida um I, I am I'm, I'm going to buy a house for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and live the next twenty five years off of the quarter of a million dollars that I just was able to take out of the equity out of the house that I just sold. In other words, listen, man, this is more like and and listen, Ruslan, to do that type of homework, I think some people will have a nervous breakdown and a heart attack <laughs> and a stroke hearing how bad Negroes have had it in our country. Let me tell you that. Let me tell you that. If you look at it, listen, if you look at scripture and you look at when people were in pandemics or epidemics, God even, let's talk about even the curses of Deuteronomy, right? Um, but uh, you know, when Israel got plundered, crime went up in Israel. That's why I said mothers will eat babies. Why? Nobody would want to eat their baby. But when you are when you are closed in and the walls of mess coming so deeply on you, you would do desperate measures just for survival. And that's even in the Bible. But thank God Almighty that the restrainer restrains and the restrainer doesn't let our depravity fully unveil itself because we would destroy each other and it would be a, a horrible, horrible world, man. So anyway. So what I, I hear you going, saying man. is, what I hear you saying is, one, <laughs> these these things didn't happen in a vacuum. They didn't happen no. overnight. No. And that it's it's compounded over generations to where we have that the average black family and the, you know the, the the average white family is 10x the net worth of an average black family in America. Right. That, that this stuff. Um, isn't just something that's happened overnight. This, 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 this took time. And how intentional or deliberate this was by people in power or how complicit they were or how much they took their hand off of it, we, that, that could be debated, right? That we don't know yeah. how much of this stuff was like, yeah, we want to intentionally put crack in the hood to kill black people versus, ah, we just put crack in the, in the hood. Who cares if it kills poor people and black people, right? We, 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 can't, we, can't, we can't get to that, but we can get to some of these racist tapes with Reagan and Nixon talking crazy about black people, which came out, uh, and, and, and that was you know kind of brushed under the news. So um, I, I hear what you're saying. 
the the pushback is going to be, and I and I hate to bring this up, but the pushback is going to be quite simple. It's no problem. Do you think? What about? Dr. Eric Mason, that's all good, but, but, but what about Thomas Sowell? But what about Candace Owens? But what about Vody? What about the, 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 the black leaders and voices who do not acknowledge that these things were connected and that there's d- these different pathways created that, that, that impacted people over generations of generations and that all just kind of bring it all down to this very simple, well, you know, black people fatherless uh fatherlessness and just deduce it to that simple common denominator instead of acknowledging all of these different variables and what even caused black fatherlessness rates to go up um how do you how do you respond to to those naysayers because i hear that a lot and they and if they'll 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 pick a couple of people and just say ah you know that police brutality isn't that bad oh this isn't that bad um how do you how do you respond to to, let me answer that let me answer that so what about so what i answer them is when you're preaching the gospel to somebody, I'm going to say, what about the atheist? Mm, okay. <laughs> like, there's a couple of things. First off, that t- Candace Owens and all these other people just tell me that black people aren't monolithic. That's number one. Wow. All black people aren't the same. <laughs> right? Um, but then, not one of the people, and I, and I say this very, very graciously, because I, I, one of the things I repented of the other day is I just want to be careful how I talk about people that I disagree with in an unredemptive and almost satiristic way. Um, so I want to be gracious. Yeah. And but, I saw that video, by the way, and I saw you broken over what was a joke. I went and watched another video and that showed a lot just in your humility and your, and, and, and you being broken over something that, uh, you know, uh, 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 other folks may have let road, you know, but you were broken and convicted about that and, and instantly, like repented and that was like wow this man is freaking salt of the earth <laughs> that's what i thought man man you know let me ask this question though ruslan name one poor black person that's against black people yeah i can't i can't think of any yeah i'm, I'm saying and when i say against black people i don't want to let me rephrase that let me say people that are like that are they financially hurting hmm I just that's all I want to say about that. Hmm. So you think you think it, it, it may be that. Well, well, yeah, let's not presume motives. I'm not going to do that because that's I will. Just, yeah, we'll just leave it there that it's not coming from. people. I'll just say that on the any, any of us can do any of us can do a, a search on how well a group of people are doing. And um, and I'm just saying it's, um, you know, to be, you know, um. I don't know. I don't know if I know of any black person that doesn't have a great seat in those air arenas. And so that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so how do we move towards any type of uh, solution? Because my, I would love to see and I know you're probably kind of spent and, and burnt on like having the, the, the same conversation, but a conversation with you and a votee. I think could be fruitful, but it doesn't sound like that's something you're really interested in. Is it, and is that because coming from a place of of being slandered and, and, and being hurt and being otherized? Um, and do you think there could be any fruit from a conversation like that where both brothers can come together and, 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 and have the dialogue and unpack the 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 stuff on a scholarly level? Because you guys are talking on a whole nother level where I'm like, I, some of this stuff is just kind of over my head, you know, even in the vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's something that, that could be, be beneficial and fruitful? And is that something that you would potentially be open to? I don't know. I'd have to get some counsel on it. I just... Um... 
it, it, I think that when you slander someone, um, it would have to be on a platform I would choose, um, with no edits, none of that. Um, you know, uh, I think that uh, I, I just I have never slandered them. That's the thing. I don't talk like again. I don't talk about those guys. I, I'm and so I'm very um. I'm trying to be good, man, because it's it's Bible coming into my mind, but I just want to be careful. I I it's it's some things that I want to be careful of. That's what I would say. But other than that, um, I can say this with 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 very with a lot of confidence. Um, I ain't scared of the smoke. Now we talking about that. Um, <laughs> you understand? Like, I, yeah. I, I believe that, and I'll say that arrogantly. I hope, I hope, um, you know, um, <laughs> you know. I, I just think that there there needs to be a lot more. I, I, I like when I, I, I can say this, and I'll say this generally. Some of the people that you've mentioned mm-hmm. have never read woke church. Mm. No, none of them. Wow. This is this because I know people that have asked them. Hmm. They haven't read Woke Church. They only engaged sound bites. They haven't listened to in. They haven't never listened to my Woke Church series. Hmm. They've never read my book, Manhood Restored. They've never read my book, Unleashed, on my biblical soteriology of sanctification. Hmm. Uh, my, my, uh, my biblical theology of sanctification, how it works. They never read Bible Guys to the Punch. They haven't read. I mean, it's people. They haven't even read Urban Apologetics. They're saying, oh, more CRT. It's like, dude, you know, one yeah. person hears an argument, but when they curse examine, uh, until another cross examines, like the scripture says. Yes, probably. And so, and so, and so for and so for me, I, I just think um I just think that they need to they need to be more charitable. And I think they need to be if it's true that they haven't read my book or listened to any of my sermons in full, um, then would you say that slander? Yeah, and that's what makes me frustrated about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what makes me frustrated about it is like, I, but see, I would I, w- I would be willing to look past the slander because I think specifically with Avodi, um, I feel like what his critique is, it's, it's sliding into cultural Marxist ideologies almost unintentionally. Um, and so he w- he wouldn't question your salvation. He wouldn't question uh, you as a minister of the gospel. It, it sounds like he's just saying, ah, it's sliding into some of these. And it's whether it's about you, Shailen, uh, so many brothers. And 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 I and I, I I feel like at the least that's not a he's he's apostate. He's denied the faith, right? It's not it's not escalated to a level like that where some of the more. Uh, Jeff Durbin, James White, where I think the attacks are a little more um, flippant and a little less restrained yeah. and a little less gracious. So that's why specifically I was and, bringing Rodi up. And, and less ungodly. I mean, and yeah. ungodly. And ungodly, yeah. Because I, yeah. I don't have a problem with somebody critiquing me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just saying do your homework. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, don't like like for instance. Let's talk about the. Can we talk about the word woke for one second, right? Yes, please, because this is another thing where I feel like people take the worldly definition and project it on the way you're using it instead of the way you're using it or the way I've heard it used historically. And I can tell you about my understanding of it. I want to hear your understanding of it. But then they're taking that and now they're projecting it on what you're doing. 
as a okay. whether as a as a as a as a as a subliminal or as a direct attack. So let me let me let me let me ask a question. So historically, okay, it's like you heard this before, Ruslan. You're an artist, right? Where do the hymns come from? From my understanding, the hymns come from a lot of bar anthems and bar songs. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, where does the word Trinity come from? The, uh, Nicene Creed is is it that that era? Nicene Creed is it's not in the Bible, right? No, n- 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 that's that's earlier in that's earlier second century. Tertullian. Okay. Um, oh, if you go that's to, right, Tertullian. Yeah. Tertullian coined the word tr- from from the from the Latin word Trinitas, which uh, which uh, means um, which is a mystic term from mm-hmm. a, a, a mystery cult and utilize that term as a way to coin the language. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the translation of the Coptic Bible, there's iconography in it. And mm-hmm. one of those common ground iconographical objects is the Ankh. If you go to the Museum of the Bible and you look at the Ankh, which is a circle, it's a it's our cross, but with like a circle on it with mm-hmm. two deals sitting out here, right? Mm-hmm. And so they utilize that because they knew it meant life. The unk meant life. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 and and so they said, man, that symbol means life. It looks kind of like the cross. Let's merge it with the cross so that they can see what does the Celtic Trinity symbol come from. Do history on that stuff. So when you look at the word woke, woke comes way uh, uh, years ago. Um, First off, it wasn't even woke. It was consciousness, which W.E.B. Du Bois used. W.E.B. Du Bois was discipled by a man named Alexander Crummel, a godly Christian man. Um, They viewed it as awareness. Um, They didn't didn't have a a term for the word Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman. They they called it freedom. That's what they Mm -hmm. called it. Um, And and so as as you look at all those different things, and then what ended up happening is when Pan-Africanism came out in the 50s and the 60s, they began taking the word conscious and using it for their whole idea of what they did. In the 80s, they grabbed the word conscious from that era, which comes from W.E.B. Du Bois. So what happened was 60 years later, uh, Christian, uh, not Christian, hip-hop artists and different people as they read Black History was reading W.E.B. Du Bois, they took the word conscious from his double consciousness theory stuff and co-opted it for what they were saying, but didn't realize that he rooted it in his Christian worldview. Um, wow. So when you, you know, you know, and so, but it's talking, but but it's also sociological. So there's a sociological sense of being aware of something. That's all mm. it means. But I got it from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. The word there for uh, uh, for, for uh, uh, awake means to be totally aware of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ. That means being aware of two things, being aware of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God, seeing clearly that the world wow. is broken and that God can fix it. And when you are awakened to how God wants things through the Hebrew word shalom, which is a Rene in the New Testament. The word shalom means to restitch creation back to its original design. In order to know how creation should look, you look at God and his intention. Why? Because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, he says, all things were made for him. What does the word for mean in the Greek? It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a a purpose preposition, which means all things were made by Jesus and he had 
purpose when he created it. So when we look at everything, we look at poverty, we say, what's God's purpose for that person's life? When we look at a marriage, we say, what's God's purpose for that? When we look at manhood and when we look at womanhood, we say, what's God's purpose for that particular person's life when it comes to manhood and womanhood? Um, when we mm. look at housing, what's God's purpose? When we look at clothes, what's God's purpose? And guess what? When we look at race relations and ethnicities and how different people are, we say, what is God's purpose? So being woke is being awakened by God through the gospel of the of the way in which things should properly be stitched back to God's order when it comes to racial injustice. Now, you don't have to necessarily be a Christian to know that there's injustice that takes place because, listen, this is theological, because even though the image of God is faced from them, it's still not erased. That means a non-Christian person can still be nice even though it doesn't attribute to their salvation, right? Same thing with this. And so that's all I'm saying. My point with woke is that Christians should be the wokest people on the planet. We should be the most aware people of what God's standards are based on his law and where things are and know, like the sons of Issachar, know what uh, the time, know, is, it, uh, uh, um, know the times and know what Israel ought to do. I'm done, man. I had to hit him with the DJ Clue explosion sound, Desert Storm. Okay. Wow. All right. That was incredible. So... You've, I feel like you've cleared the air on a lot of stuff. Guys, Urban Apologetics is out. It's pinned up. Your website is pinned up here in the chat. I'll put it in the description below. Appreciate um, it. Appreciate it. I, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really know what else is there to say. I feel like every the, 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 the distinction between woke <laughs> has been made, the clear distinction between not embracing the conclusions of CRT or the conclusions of liberation theology has been made. Um, I don't. I don't really know what uh, what else is there to, to to to. I mean, my only other question is like, do from the worldview that 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 you've presented, um, I don't walk away as as an Armenian Caucasian white man with this sense of shame and guilt that I need to repent for my whiteness in this conversation. I walk away saying, wow, Dr. Eric Mason is doing incredible work on the front lines, being the hands and feet of Jesus through Epiphany Church. I see the the desire to contextualize the gospel over this stumbling block that we see uh, with 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 some of these racial issues. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and I and I see I, I I don't know I see your heart and I see uh, the 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 pathway that if we move to unity, the, it, it does have to first start with some degree of acceptance and listening and not gaslighting and ignoring and otherizing. And uh, and that to me is just always a trigger when I see people get otherized, when I see people get gaslit, when I see people um, attacked and slandered. Um, it's it's just very it's very frustrating. So with that, um, what are, any final thoughts, final final uh, closing statements uh, that you want to share with us um, b- before we get out of here, Doctor Mason? Yeah. So first off, thank you for having me on, man. Encouraged by what you're doing and trying to do and expose different things and have heard you um i watched the channel so thankful for having me on here thank you for watching man, that means uh, a lot. yeah so man um yeah man so i i would just say i you know many of us are in the place where we can't do uh three-way apologetics wow <laughs> um you know we we don't I, I don't i can't spend the rest of my life trying to trying to prove to you why my life matters and why people look like me matter Mm. Um, because if I spend my time trying to fight for my dignity that Christ has already given me in the gospel and at creation, 
Um, I'm already, I already have significance and dignity and identity because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross um, and because he created me. And so one of the things we, 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 but people don't realize African-Americans have to do three levels of apologetics if you're in the position I'm in, which many of us are. And some of my white siblings do too. Um, you know, um, see, we don't hate white people. See, did you hear that? <laughs> white siblings. Um, <laughs> um, but um, man, um, we have to do apologetics in our community with all of these mystery cults that are affected by white supremacy and the destruction of black dignity. We have to minister to Hebrew Israelites and comedic folk and all these different people uh, lovingly, the best that we know how. But then also, man, we have to uh, uh, we have to minister in our culture with the racism and the systems that we're dealing with there. But sadly enough, the place where we should have found the greatest amount of brotherhood, the greatest amount mm -hmm. of camaraderie, uh, the greatest place of theological hand uplifting as well as practical commitment was the church. And we have to do apologetics with our own brothers mm. in the church. And so you may get to go to a debate and you get to debate some guy from overseas or some person who is an agnostic or uh, 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 whatever that person is, an uh, atheist or, you know, uh, existentialist or whatever they are. And you get to go home and 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 be at home but us we're in a continuous fight and so i just pray that you all will pray that god will be glorified that the gospel will be proclaimed and that his redemptive work in his kingdom will come to the places where there's a there's a lot of need and there's a lot of brokenness but there's a lot of opportunity for gospel fruit so let's get it for the glory of jesus christ family amen ladies and gentlemen dr eric mason uh that was incredible listen the the new book urban apologetics is out uh, I'm excited to um, I'm excited to check that out. Sit with it. Shout out to my brother Adam from um, from he was just on the channel True Idea Apologetics for helping connect me and Dr. Eric Mason. I've, I've been looking forward to having a conversation with him for a very long time. And so uh, that that I'll tell you what, Dr. Mason, the, the three way apologetics breaks my heart, and 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 perhaps that's why. Uh, I'd be on here uh, 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 going a little ham sometimes when it could these things come up, man. So, uh, man, I, I appreciate you coming on here and 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 just being patient and uh, and, and and being willing to to, to almost blacksplain some of this stuff to to some of these brothers that desire and 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 are, and are looking for the truth, but maybe just caught up in the group thing, caught up in the other rising. Um, so thank you so much. Guys, check out the book. It's pinned up here in the description. Uh, maybe we'll be um maybe maybe we'll we'll be graced with your presence here again on the channel. Have some more anytime, dialogue. Man. I feel you like uh, I feel like we need you actively on YouTube just from this chat alone. It seems like people are are blown away. I know you have your sermons up on the Epiphany YouTube channel, but I, I would love to hear you regularly commentating on some of these different things. I think could be very powerful. So um yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would love to see a Dr. Eric Mason YouTube channel with you, 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 you we'll being stay. more active on there. So, <laughs> thank you so much, guys. If you enjoyed this conversation, valuable, give this video a like, give it a thumbs up, and uh, and, and and make sure you uh, you you pick up the new book, Urban Apologetics. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Mason. Oh, thanks for having me. Take care, man. Kingstream Entertainment, Bruce Lawn. Yo, if you are a creative. 
industry expert, an entrepreneur, and you want to learn how I've grown my YouTube channel by 62,000 subscribers in the last 12 months. We have a very special stream scheduled Friday, May 7th at noon about disruptive value. The very principles that people like myself, Meet Kevin, Cardi B, and Nick D have implemented to ethically grow our audience. And for all you guys that have been wondering about the course and when is that coming, this is the first part of the course that you need to make sure that you're opted in. Before I ask anybody to ever consider buying any of my stuff, I first want to add immense value and that's what this first stream is going to be on Friday, May 7th at noon. So make sure you set your reminders and plan to be there. Stream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Yes. 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 Holy smokes, you made it through the entire episode. Shout out to you. Probably means you're rocking with what we're doing. And again, we ain't got no sponsors on this show, and I'm going to keep it that way. But what you can do to keep it sponsor-free is consider signing up for our King's Dream Patreon. The link is in the description of this episode. Best way to get a hold of me, best way to hop into a group Zoom call, and the best way to partner with what we're doing here help us create more stuff just like this. Thank you for listening. Peace.